Hi all and welcome to an AST podcast, the Arsenal Supporters Trust very own podcast. It's something we, we, we've been talking about for a long time and we've finally sort of got our got our asses into gear, let's say, and, and actually made it happen. So I'm Akil Vias, I'm going to be your host and our first guest is Sam Dean from The Telegraph. Sam, how's it going? Yeah, very well, thanks. Honoured, honoured to be the first guest, of course. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, you've, 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 you've impressed us when you've come to these virtual events, you see. Um, and, and also, you're the only one who could do Wednesday um, at such short notice. <laughs> 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 How's your summer been, mate? All right. <laughs> How's your summer been? Had much time off? Uh, not yet, although I've managed to get a week off next week, which is uh, pretty poorly timed for the new season. Uh-huh. I'm going to miss the uh, the Palace game. Thinking I'm coming back on the Friday night. Thinking there's no way they'll put Arsenal on a Friday night game in London two years in a row. Um, then they did. So I'm going to miss the Palace game, which is a shame because that opening game is often a sort of tone setter for the new season. You know what? It's my brother-in-law's thirtieth, and um, I've just started working at Team Sport, which is the indoor go-karting place. It's just, it was time to leave the corporate world. Um, so he was saying that, look, tell me what date. I'm going to do it for my 30th. We'll get the boys together. We'll have a really good night and stuff like that. And his birthday is, I think, the 4th of August. So I said, look, do the Friday night because the Premier League starts then. I doubt Arsenal will play Friday as well. So Saturday, Sunday, I, I can't commit yet. Um, and obviously we got it all sorted. What happens? Bang, the Palace game is there. So I'm kind of, I haven't told him yet. Like I'm not going to make it. I think he thinks I'm missing the Palace game. But um, yeah, it's going to be an awkward. I'm meeting him tonight, actually. It's been an awkward conversation. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, I mean, on that, do, you know, do, do you think, Firstly, do you think it's it's fair? I think Arsenal have played, I think, five out of the last six openers have all been away. And I think the one they did have at home was like Man City or someone like that. It was just ridiculous. They've had such a hard start. Do you think it's a little bit unfair or do you think it's just you just got to take it, take it on the chin and get on with it? Um, generally speaking, I treat uh, fixture complaints. Generally speaking, I treat fixture complaints in, in the same way that I treat refereeing complaints in that I don't really care about them. I think they're just sort of performative nonsense most of the time. On this one, though, I do feel it's slightly harsh to put Arsenal on the Friday night away in London. And obviously, it's not the Palace game itself. It's the fact it's a Friday night. And I think that knowing what Sadars Park is like and what it will be like in a nice August evening on a Friday, the beers will be flowing the first day of the season. That is, in my eyes, a far more difficult place to go at that point than it would have been 3pm Saturday or even, you know, half four Sunday. So, and the fact that it happened with Brentford last year and we all saw what happened to Arsenal that night does feel a bit, um, yeah, I do wonder if if Arteta will will, will say anything to this effect. I presume he won't. uh, Maybe he'll do so after the game, but won't want to make excuses before the game. But I, I think that feels a bit harsh to me. <laughs> Just my view. Especially because we only we went there a couple of months ago and it didn't quite turn out well and Patrick Vieira and stuff like that. But you know what, with fixtures, I mean, you're right. If we, if we look at sort of uh, from the six Europa League games, Arsenal play at home four times. 
So you could say there's an advantage there because it, it could be it could have been two times. We could have had four away games. I think we've got one tough one against Leeds away, but relatively we're okay. And I think the away game might even be kind of Brentford or someone like that. So we're not even travelling. So it, it, it's, it's it's all relative, isn't it? If, as long as you win the game, then people probably don't care and you kind of forget all about it, don't you? So talking about kind of transfers and stuff and kind of preparation for the season, obviously Arsenal seem like they have got their business done fairly fairly early. There, there might still be things to come, as, as Edu has kind of alluded to, but I think generally they've done the main bits that they wanted to do, at least from an incoming point of view, early. How do you think the summer's gone? Um, the strategy's clearly working, you know, about the young players and stuff like that. Um, how do you think it's gone so far? Yeah, I think it's... It's pretty impressive business overall. Um, the, the the obvious one that, that anyone listening will know, and anyone who's watched any of Arsenal will will know, is the striker position had to be had to be nailed, and it had to be nailed early. Um, and they've done that. And I think in Gabriel Jesus, they've pretty much got the lowest risk option that you're going to find on the market. Who knows the league? He knows Arteta. He's the right age. He knows Edu as well. He fits in perfectly to the style of play. You know, there were there was no one else on that market who would have fit in fitted in so seamlessly um, on paper at least, and certainly the first few games of preseason suggest he's uh, already making a big impact. So that one they had to get right, and I, I think it's hard to argue against the fact that they have done that right so far. Um, Zinchenko, I think, is a really good signing. I think he's uh, just somebody who just gets it in terms of what Arteta wants to do. His versatility, obviously, is, is going to be very important going forward, both left-back and in midfield. Um, Matt Turner, we knew that in January, so that one's been coming. We need to see more of him before making any judgments, but it will come on to outgoings as well, I'm sure. But obviously, Leno's not got a future at Arsenal, so they need a, a reliable backup. And hopefully, that's Matt Turner, who's on a slightly more um, you know, wage-bill-friendly salary, I think it's fair to say. Honest wage, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's a squad balance. You can't really, if you're Arsenal, you can't have two goalies earning, earning big, big bucks because one of them plays. Um, Fabio Vieira is obviously an interesting one. Came out of nowhere, really made us journalists look like fools, uh, which is fine. Um, I actually don't mind that because sometimes we get accused of sort of being fed by the club. Um, yeah. And this kind of, we always tell you guys that's not what happens. Um, yeah. It's actually really hard to find transfer stuff. Um, I mean, on that, on that, just from Fabio Vieira, I mean, what, from your perspective, how did you sort of obviously you found out just before us because you would have reported on it, but but how did that how does that come about? Because with the Zinchenko and Jesus, you were writing about it for weeks, but this one, no one seemed to know anything about it. I mean, how from your perspective, how did it when did you first hear about it? Literally, uh, it came out in Portugal that the, the, this deal was done, and I saw that and thought, that's odd. Um, like I'm sure every other journalist covering Arsenal thought, well, that's odd. And then it was a big deal as well, wasn't it? Over 30 million. It's, it's not a small deal. No, exactly. That's the thing. <laughs> and uh, it, 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 I can't remember a deal like that with Arsenal um, in, in my sort of recent memory. That has happened before with Liverpool. Uh, if you remember the Fabinho deal and the Diogo Jota deals. Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning that those three players, Fabinho, Jota and Vieira, have all got the same agency. Which is clearly, you know, not that I'm, I don't think I'm revealing too big a trade secret that agents generally like to talk in this game. And that's a big source of, of stories for journalists and people at clubs and agencies and people around that. There's often people who talk and that's our job to find those people and to build relationships with them. 
on this one, it was kept under wraps, um, which kind of proves the point that a lot of us have been making that it's quite hard work to find these transfer stories. <laughs> and it, you know, the clubs often don't want you to know this stuff. We're not getting fed it. They don't want you to know. Um, and that was, a, that was, you know, fair play to Arsenal because if that had come out and been trailed, maybe someone else comes in and says, oh, if he's going to Arsenal for 30, why don't we offer 33 or whatever? So there's benefits to keeping it quiet often. Um, and, and fair play to Arsenal for doing that. It, it's a, it's an exciting deal. I can't say I know a huge amount about the player, but talking to people in Portugal, he, he's really highly rated there and clearly got a lot of talent. So really exciting deal. I mean, and also just talking about agents and talking, I mean, we heard from Edu last week and he talked about Rafinha, that, you know, he had a conversation with Deco, who he knows obviously quite well. And, Deco kind of told him it's Barcelona that he wants, and Eddie said, Thank you very much. If anything changes, let me know. But the story kept seemed like it kept going in the media, it didn't just stop suddenly. You know, it was Arsenal were very close, were are in pole position, then suddenly Chelsea were. But obviously, Deco's already told Arsenal that he's going to Bar he's gonna go to Barcelona. Is that maybe a case of agents potentially just talking because? Let, they they want to get Barcelona in there quickly, and they're selling Barcelona. There's interest from Chelsea and Arsenal. If they're not quick, he may he may decide to go to them. Is it a little bit of that? Do you think? I mean, or I know you can't can't confirm because agents are your sources, but I presume that happens a fair bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably safest for me to speak more generally rather yeah, than yeah. about Rafinha specifically. But in terms of the media and how we cover stuff and how stuff gets out, you generally need to look at. You know, who, who stands to gain from this becoming public? Um, often it's an agent, drive the fee up or raise profile or whatever. Often it's the selling club, you know. It, 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 might, it might well have suited Leeds for it to be out there that Arsenal win for him. So there are lots of, there are lots of different ways and, and reasons for this stuff coming out. Um, often, sometimes it's the buying club too. You know, sometimes it's the case where the buying club wants to say, "Look, we're we're in the market for this kind of player. We've got this kind of intention," and that sends a message to fans and to agents and to other players. So it's very much not a straightforward. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not, it's not, it's never just agents and it's never just clubs or whatever. It's it's always a bit of a mix of everything. Um, going back to Rafinha specifically, uh, my understanding was that, as Edu said, basically, is if Barcelona can't do the deal. And I think the whole of football is kind of shocked that they have been able to do the deal. Like, I don't think anyone quite gets it, the financial situation there. Arsenal were going to be there to take him if they could. And that was true of Chelsea as well. So once it became clear that Barcelona could do the deal and they, they pulled these economic levers that we keep hearing about from, from Spain, then that were clearly that was, that was only going to go one way. So Arsenal and Leeds, I mean, Leeds CEO was was at Arsenal at, at one point in his career. So there's links there as well. So I think maybe all that kind of played a part. Um, so I want to ask you about the Cronkies and, and KSC. And obviously, you know, with the AST, we obviously are about sort of ownership governance. And obviously we had the fan share scheme with the shares kind of taken away and all that kind of stuff. But... I mean, you know, if, if I take my sort of AST hat off and then, you know, let's 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 forget the history because obviously there has been history with, with, with Stan and Josh. But we have invested this summer. We, we did invest last summer. Now, you know, my colleagues at the AST will, 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 will tell you and tell me that at the moment it seems like they're loans into Arsenal. So we don't know how they're going to be repaid and things like that. But the matter is we are investing. Um you, I mean, from a media point of view, is the is the kind of 
you know, dial slowly changing on the Cronkies? Do you feel actually you see less kind of anger and and and, and stuff like that? I remember your your colleague Jeremy Wilson, who used to cover Arsenal, and I think he was one of the first to actually interview Stan Cronky. He went up to Denver. And I remember him coming to an AST kind of event and saying, I don't, he didn't quite understand the hate for the Cronkies. He didn't feel they'd done much wrong. He, maybe he felt they could be a little bit more out there and a little bit more present. But generally, he didn't see that. But obviously, fans, the Super League thing happened. But yeah, are you sensing a little bit of a, uh, certainly more of an involvement from them? Yeah, I, I think in time, more maybe more so than now, We'll, we'll come to look back at the moment they took full control of the club as as a quite significant moment in their ownership. Um, I also think that it's pretty clear that Josh has taken a more hands-on approach in the last couple of years, which we know. Um, and he's been more visible and more communicative and public-facing, um, not just over the Super League, but before that. And obviously, he did front up for the Super League in a way that many fans probably wouldn't have expected a few years previously. Um, and yeah, the the investment is there. And as you say, your finance guys are, are the best in the business and looking at where this might be coming from. And, and the simple fact is we don't know exactly. Uh, and that stuff is very private and very hard for journalists to uncover. Um, well, it's impossible, essentially. My, my understanding on a broader scale is that Artessa and Edu, Vinay, the current executive board and and team, not the board, the current executive team and manager have successfully made the pitch that Arsenal need to invest now to rebuild the foundations of this squad and to basically clear up the mess. And you can see that in what they've invested in, which is essentially young players with resale value on lower wages. Um, in, they need to do that now, to spend big now, you know, last summer, this summer, and maybe next summer too. I don't know yet. We, well, I guess that depends how they finish this season spend big now in order to become sustainable again. Uh, Arsenal obviously famously were a self-sustaining model um, and they are not now, that is clear. But I believe, my understanding is that the, the KSC master plan is to get back to that point. So I don't think it's fair to say what we're, what we're experiencing now looking at Arsenal is the new reality. I don't think every single year there'll be £150 million spent on, on new players. Also, I don't think that would be possible with FFP anyway. Um, but I do think that, yeah, this, this, these last two years and potentially next year too are seen as a sort of a grand reinvestment before the return to the old model in a more sustainable way. Yeah. I think getting to the Champions League automatically gets you 40, you know, 40 million. And then if you have a good run, you, I think Spurs got about 90 million for getting to the final the other year. So then essentially that can pay for your summer. So I think you're right. I think you're right. This The investment now is seen as long-term sustainability. So I think it's spot on there. Um, quickly on in Jesus, we kind of talked about him. Um, you know, as you said, I think you described it well, that it's kind of the most risk-free kind of option. Um, Touchwood, he, he tends to be fit most of the time. Obviously plays for his national team and stuff like that. Um what do you think his best position is and how do you think he'll be used by uh, Mikel Arteta here at Arsenal? Well, I, I, think it's, I think it's pretty clear he'll, he'll be the nine. He'll be the, the main centre-forward. That, that's been clear in pre-season. Um, yeah. But I think his versatility is, is potentially very useful. And, and talking about uh, Rafinha pursuits um, and the sort of cover or, need, or competition needed for Bukayo Saka on that right wing, um, 
I, I can foresee a situation in which there are games when Eddie and Ketia starts up front and Jesus starts on the right, for example, because I think we all saw that Saka last year was asked to do too much for too long and physically was was pretty burned out by the end of the year. Um, so it's, it's clear they want to relieve, relieve some of the burden on him, um, as we saw with the Rafinha pursuit. Mm. And assuming they don't get another right winger in, and they might well do, um, I can see Jesus covering there on certain occasions for Saka with, with Eddie playing up top. But primarily, I, I yeah, I mean, I certainly think he'll play the vast majority of his games as the centre forward. And talking about kind of just we've got a board member, Zach, who kind of writes the agenda and essentially is the producer for these podcasts. But I'm just going to go and go slightly against his um, his agenda just because of for the flow here. Um, but, you know, Zinchenko kind of coming in, it, it's obviously a smart signing um, because he can play in, 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 in positions in midfield and kind of left back. Now, obviously, Tini and, and even Tommy Yasu have had injury problems. They're, they're kind of, I think they're probably injured right now, aren't they? Do you know much about their injuries when they're kind of due back? And Because and, it, it's starting to probably get quite concerning for us. I think certainly on the Tommy Yasu side, because I think with Zinchenko, we know now, OK, actually, we're, we're covered on the left. But on the right, it's, I know Saliba can come in and Ben White can go right. But do you know much about it? It's a bit. A bit, a bit strange, those two. It's just gone a bit quiet. Yeah, uh, so we're recording this on Wednesday 27th. I believe they were both back in training yesterday. Um, okay. Whether that's full training, uh, I don't know. There's often a difference between yeah. on the grass and their full training. Um, I, I share your concerns uh, over Tommy Asu because that injury last year was, well, it, it was a sort of a recurring problem and it, keep, it kept sort of the, the return date kept getting push back every single week um, which never sounds particularly good um, and he actually I think he'd had a history of, of muscle problems before joining Arsenal um, so that that is a slight red flag I think and I think it's fair for fans to be concerned on that especially because he was so impressive in the first half of the season he was and Tierney unfortunately with Tierney who I you know I, I rate so highly as a player I think he's really important I think has become a bit underrated by by fans in the last few months with the Zinchenko links and because he was absent. But well, from going from future captain to suddenly, you know, if someone has a cheeky bid, would we? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, with him, you know, he's he's picked up significant injuries at at bad times in the last two seasons, and it, it has cost Arsenal. I think in both occasions, um, that's not his fault. It's not to blame him. But I think I think it's fair for fans and for the club to, to question whether he is going to be reliable enough as the only option. So Sinchenko coming in is clearly a reflection of that. Um, and yeah, on, on the right side, obviously Cedric's there still. Um, ben White can play right back. I think Saliba probably could too, but I think more likely that Ben White would. Um, he could shift to a back three as they did last year on occasion. So there there are solutions there. I think. I think when you already have Cedric and Tomiyasu on the books, it's quite hard to go out and find another one. I mean, not even mention the fact that Hector Bellerin's still there and Nas is still there too. So I can't, I can't see that being a a place where Arsenal strengthen this summer. But look, if Tomiyasu doesn't ever get fit properly and consistently, then they're going to need to find someone more reliable long term. I think with William Saliba, kind of Saliba playing quite well in pre-season as well, it's given Arsenal another option and. 
Ben White's obviously played right back for England and, and for Arsenal at times as well. So there's an option there. And as you say, with Cedric, um, you talk about Bellerin, and actually that's quite a good segue. You, you wrote a piece on Bert Leno um, close to Fulham. Is that sort of still the case as we kind of Wednesday afternoon as we're talking? Yeah, Leno? I mean, yeah, I believe so. It's funny, this it feels like this summer and last summer, the sort of the demand for incremental transfer updates has never been more, um, never been greater really. Uh, and these things do take time. It's mm-hmm. almost like you report, yeah, he's getting close to 80 million deal. And 80 million deal, not 80, blimey. That would be a good deal for that. That would be a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And then people sort of ask, like, well, well, why hasn't it happened yet? Well, it's almost like you know, these things do, there are processes to follow. And, and, and Fulham have had reasons I don't entirely understand. All their pursuits of players this year have really sort of dragged on. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, just thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, just looking at it, I mean, it's probably in Fulham's interest to wait as long as possible because then Arsenal will be a bit desperate and they might drop the price by half a million or a million because Arsenal are desperate to get him off the books and get some money in for him. So I kind of get it. I get why Fulham are potentially waiting. Um, the, issue, but it's a deal... the, issue, the, the issue Fulham might have, um, and I don't know this sort of for a fact, this is more like an educated guess, but what when when other clubs know that Leno is available for around eight million, which is the fee that Fulham and Arsenal are sort of getting towards, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody else comes in, depending on situations changing elsewhere. And you know, if a goalkeeper leaves another club, Leno is suddenly available um, for that kind of money. Whether I mean whether he would like to do that or not, I don't know. My understanding is he's quite happy to stay in London, and Fulham's obviously a nice a nice place to play, um, and I'm sure they're going to pay him quite nicely as well, which is always helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean. I wouldn't be surprised if if there was interest in elsewhere and maybe a little bidding war did materialise, but that depends a bit on Leno. If he says, I only want Fulham, then there's no chance. Um, but Hector Bellerin, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, um, I think Pablo Mari was close to a team. I think I read something about around the five million mark, but... What's you know that obviously the focus probably in the next week for Arsenal is the outgoings because we do have some Deadwood there, um, you know, decent enough players on their day, but maybe just not fitting into the into the model now. Mm. What's kind of what have we heard about them? Yeah, I mean the issue the issue as has been the case before, as as you guys know well, is is the wages really for these guys. Um, Arsenal as a top six Premier League club pay good money. Um, these players are not at the level of a top six Premier League club right now. So therefore, for clubs elsewhere to take them, it generally requires a, a pay cut um, or a, a, at least is a, a much reduced fee for that reason. Uh, and that, that's been a problem for ages. You know, that's why Arsenal have terminated seven contracts in the past few years, um, which, which is obviously not ideal as a business model. Uh, I, think, I think that's fair to say. Um, and that's the problem. With, that's the problem with these players. Bellerin's on really good money. Um, I, I, he took a pay cut last year, I think, to go on loan. And I suspect he's a sort of character who'll be willing to do that again. So I, I imagine he'll. That, that is what will probably happen with him. But whether that leads to any sort of fee, is up for debate. Um, Marry again. It's got to be. It's going to be a small fee, isn't it? It's not going to be a large fee. And Maitland Niles is an interesting one. This is this is not information. This is. You know, I, I know for a fact that other clubs have had a look at him without pursuing overly strongly as, as far as I know. But I look at him and think his situation, I think he's got one year left in his contract. He's versatile. He can cover midfield and right back, maybe even play as sort of a right winger in, in, in very sort of specific scenarios. 
they're not going to get a huge fee for him because he's only got one year left. I wonder if it comes to a point where it's actually worth keeping him for a year and losing him on a free um, instead of getting, you know, five or six million for him and then he goes. Um, because the counter argument to that is Arsenal have a very big squad. I think they've got 33 first team players now and Arteta has made it clear he wants about 22 plus three goalkeepers. So there is, it is a big bloated squad, which is too too fat basically so they need to trim it but yeah I, I that's just my personal view that I see value in keeping Maitland-Niles for a year but whether yeah. that's how Arsenal see it remains to be seen It does seem a bit strange really he played in that cup final and he was you know close to going to Wolves for 15 or so million and it felt like Arteta persuaded him to stay if we read the reports and it just hasn't quite happened since then so so it is a strange one um do you know much about... Gone. Sorry. The other one is Pepe. Yeah, I, well, I was going to ask you about Pepe. Um, what... Basically, who's going to take him? <laughs> That's the <laughs> question. Mm. That's the blunt question. He's obviously on massive money, as a £72 million signing would be. Um, I think that might go very late in the window. He put a very strange post on social media the other day, um, which almost seemed to suggest he decided to stay, which goes against everything else we thought we knew about the Pepe situation. He even changed agent this summer to sort of help push through a move. So, I mean, I still expect him to leave and I think he probably will, but it's it's hard to know where and how and in what kind of capacity, whether that's a loan or whether that's even a termination, I don't know. It wouldn't rule anything out. Well, but what Edu said last week, you would You can see a loan, can't you, towards the end of the window with Arsenal paying maybe 50% of the wages just to get him out. But then, if Arsenal don't get another winger, then potentially keeping him in the squad if you're going to be paying 50% anyway, I don't know, might might be worthwhile. You know, he's, he's with the Europa League, especially with the six group games, you can envisage him playing maybe all of them, potentially yeah. to give Saka a rest, depending on sort of who we're drawn against. The other interesting one was, it was kind of, a, you know, if you're sort of a follower of Arsenal, you sort of know about this. If you're a casual follower, you might not. But obviously Omar Hutchison left to go to Chelsea. And, you know, he's an 18-year-old young player. He was quite, um, you know, he was highly rated at Arsenal and stuff like that. And fans were, look, I think he was, he made the squad a few times last year. I know we, we had a slightly smaller squad and, things like that but do you know much about where that came from and you may not but it's just it was a bit of a weird one for Arsenal for, for fans anyway yeah I can understand why that was a weird one it did come as a bit of a surprise um, uh, one thing I, I, the honest answer is I don't know yeah I, I, that's the honest answer um, I know Chelsea pay very good wages to young players so that's that's that is a fact that is uh-huh. relevant I don't know if it applies to this scenario or not. I honestly don't know. So I can't mm. say, oh, we've gone for the money because I don't know that. But yeah. you pay good wages to young players. And Chelsea do have a very good and advanced loan system. So that's, you know, there are reasons to go to Chelsea. Um, and I have, I, I, I assumed as soon as I saw that, that news and sort of realised it was completely true, uh, I presumed the arrival of Marquinhos had... Mm. had an impact on that given that he played in the exact same position and is I think only one year older I mean if that if I was a Murray Hutchinson and I just was in the in and around the first yeah. team squad last year and they just suddenly signed another right winger who's my age um, for, for three million quid I think that would send a message to me about how they view me um, 
so that's I presume that's that's part of it. But as I say, I can't say I know that for a fact. And can we expect anything future coming, sort of, you know, incomings, or do you think we're sort of waiting on the outgoings? But you know, are we still obviously there was Tillemans at Leicester that we were looking at potentially? Um, the midfield maybe still is a little bit. We're still potentially Thomas Partey injury away from, you know, a bit of a strife was a long-term injury. Do you think anything will happen in midfield or, or anywhere else for that matter? Yeah, I mean, the Tielemans one's interesting because we, we, we knew very much so early on in the summer that he was on the list and they really liked him and he'd been scouted extensively and a lot of work, I think, had gone into that. Um, and then they kind of rode back uh, or, or taken a step back from, from doing that deal or pushing the button on it, I very much would not be surprised if they did end up doing that deal. Um, Leicester need to sell. They need the money. He's an obvious candidate with one year left. I, I think that's Arsenal's to do if they want to do it. My reading of the situation is they probably want to get some outgoings first. Telemans will come in on a big a big wage. He's, he's that age and he's that sort of profile. Yeah. He'll come in as one of the highest earners and there needs to be space A in the squad and B on the wage bill for that. Um, and the other thing is, you know, clearly they want a winger. And it, depending on outgoings, it might be one or the other. And these are all the sort of the, the juggling and the decisions they have to make right now and looking at all the spreadsheets and everything and the sort of squad depth charts and all those things that these guys have. Um, so I, I certainly would not rule out Tielemans. And as you say, you know, an injury or whatever, and things can change very quickly all of a sudden. Um, and it might become a bit more pressing for them to sign someone like Tielemans in, in a few weeks' time. So we don't know. We don't know. But they have time until the end of the window. Um, the only danger with him is if someone else comes in for him very strongly. There's been a few whispers yeah. about Man United, for yeah. example. I don't know. We know they want a midfielder. Um, so, and he's really good. <laughs> so, yeah. that too. Um, you know, that, that will be the sort of thing that might uh, force Arsenal's hand or, you know, result in him going elsewhere. But, you know, these things, I think a lot of Arsenal's problems in the last couple of years, and, and Eddie alluded to this in, in, in the States with the guys out there uh, last week, that a lot of the problems came from paying, you know, players too much money at the wrong age uh, with limited sell-on value. Um, and if the finances don't work for Arsenal with Tielemans, then that's... I think that's I think that's a good sign that they're not willing to pay whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, as I say, they might well get it done, but as it stands, I reckon it depends a bit on on who goes out. And just finally, thoughts on sort of Arsenal's chances this season. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction because it's probably a bit early. But how do you think they'll kind of do this season? And you know, certainly you would expect them to be fighting for the top four. Yeah, I think the, the plan for them, sort of long-term plan, is this is the year they get back in the Champions League and that, that will be the expectation. I think the squad's stronger than it was last year, not just with the players coming in, but obviously the players who are improving, you know, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli will be one year better. Um, you could see the evolution of the team sort of post-February, post the Dubai trip last season when the shape started to change a bit and it became a little bit more like Man City, essentially, which is what Arteta wants. Um, and that's all encouraging. What obviously we don't know is what might happen with, you know, it's sometimes random things happen that derail that derail the season mm. out of nowhere, which, which, you know, we can't plan for. And also the impact of Europa League again. That is 
you know, playing that Thursday, Sunday churn is, you know, it's statistically proven that it makes life harder. Like you can just look at the results of any team doing that and it's worse. So they have to be able to manage that. And last year, I think they really benefited from not having that, having a very small squad. This year, they need a bigger squad because they have that and they have to manage all the things around it. And even, you know, people last year were sort of making the point, oh, Arsenal didn't get top four despite having no Europe. Um, but you look at Spurs, second half of the season, neither did, neither did they. They had no uh, Europe either. Uh, you could really, like, the, the teams who don't have that midweek really sort of benefit from it. Um, so that's that'll be my fear f- for Arsenal, is that they mm. don't to cope with that as well as they uh, need to. But, you know, improving team, they'll be in it. Yeah. Well, the other thing, just to, just to add as a factor this year, is obviously Qatar. You've got you've got the World Cup. You don't know, you know, if potentially if England have a good run. You know, obviously there's this Bukayo Saka in there, but does he play every game for England? In, in my eyes, he does. But you know, I'm not sure if he does it for Gareth Southgate. But you know, for one, Harry Kane will be playing pretty much every game and, and every minute, which means how will he come back and will that impact Spurs? And you know, it's there's a lot of you know players going all the way. Um, I think that was interesting when we talk about Kieran Tini that you know. He has got the six-week break, you know, and, and that's Martin Odegaard won't be going as well. So I expect to see him play a lot of games actually from now till Qatar because he's got the six-week gap. Um, so I think there's a lot of there's going to be some strategic. There's going to be potentially some big players who aren't playing as much just because the managers are aware that they've got the World Cup to go, and some players haven't. So again, you know, if Tini is back, I expect him to to, to play a bit because. We all know he's got he's got a bit of a rest then, but we'll see. It's an unknown, isn't it? We just don't know. We've never had that before, so we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I think the the issue, the interesting thing about that will be how much that leads to a, a bunching up in the table of the big six and the and the, the smaller sides. Um, you know, will will that contribute to closing the gap? Because it will be the big six clubs who have the most players out there. Um, and if if there are if there are players at if there are more players left behind at West Ham, Leicester, Wolves, as would probably be the case, yeah, you'd you'd think that having a six-week gap for them and training properly and having a bit of time to relax would really help them in the long term. So, as you say, we have no idea because it's all totally new. But I I expect a gap between top four and the rest, or even you know the top top Six. one and the rest, to be mm. smaller this year as a result of that. But who knows? Yeah, yeah, we will see. Sam, great to talk to you. I'm sure we'll get you on a virtual event with our members very soon as well. Um, enjoy your week off and um, see you, see you not at the Palace game, but maybe it's at the Leicester game is our next one, I think it is. So, um, yeah, hopefully see you then. Cool, thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you. That was Sam Dean from The Telegraph. Thank you for listening to the first AST podcast. And hopefully we'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll try and keep the momentum going. Let us know if these are useful. Um, And yeah, up the Arsenal.